The In Our Eyes podcast acknowledges the traditional owners and custodians of the lands on which this podcast is recorded, and we pay our respects to the elders past, present and future. Welcome to the In Our Eyes podcast, a podcast created by the Deacon Optometry alumni team for our fellow alumni and students. In each episode, we will be talking to a different individual about their optometry smarts, careers and experiences, hence the title In Our Eyes. If there are any topics you'd like to hear us cover or you have any questions, please head on over to our Instagram, Facebook or LinkedIn and send us your thoughts. Also, as a great bonus, all of these episodes can be logged as CPD. For a little reminder on how to manually enter this into your learning plan, you can find an explainer on our Instagram stories. This is a series we call Pathways in Optometry, where we talk to different alumni about their experiences in business, research and more. Now, let's kick off. is a clinical optometrist who is currently in her final year of her PhD. She graduated from Deakin University with a Bachelor of Vision Science and Masters of Optometry. Since then, she has worked in a number of different practices in both urban and remote areas, diagnosing, managing and co-managing a large range of ocular disease. She's also taken part in volunteering in Kenya, providing optometric services, and has also volunteered under the Human Rights Pillar in the United Nations. A large focus of her career is research. Her master's research focused on contact lenses, and the area of focus for her PhD is ocular allergy. She has presented her research at many conferences, and her research on ocular allergy has been published in a number of articles, for which she received an outstanding publication award by the Impact Institute for One. Additionally, Irene spends time on other optometric research topics, such as keratoconus as a research assistant. On top of all of this, she is currently involved in lecturing, clinical demonstrating, research advisory and assignment marking at a number of optometry universities around Australia. In the future, Irene aspires to continue her career in clinical work, research, academia and international and rural volunteering. In this podcast, Irene is interviewed by Jessie Wiley, who has known Irene since their time studying together at uni. All right. Hello, Irene. Welcome to the In Our Eyes podcast. Thank you for joining. Um, Now, for those who maybe don't know you or what you do, would you mind just introducing yourself? Yeah, of course. Um, I'm Irene and I'm currently doing my PhD. I'm doing it through Deakin University, which is um, lots of fun. I graduated from Bachelor of Business Science Master of Optometry from Deakin, so familiar with all the campus and everything going on and I'm actually now in my final year um, of PhD so almost at the end yeah. 
Congratulations. It's so exciting. Thank you. And I guess from graduating, what was your journey towards doing a PhD? Like, I actually remember this so clearly. It was actually at the end of the the Master's of Optometry. We had done our projects and I remember approaching my supervisor and asking, like, what do you think if we, you know, present this or publish our research? And I don't even know why I thought that. I just thought, oh, you know, like that was such good research. We got some great results. Let's do that. And she was like, yeah. How about you presented at this conference and it's called the CMO conference. You know, I spent nights and days creating this poster and, and applied for the conference and then I got in and I was very excited to present on behalf of um, all our research, you know, colleagues and things like that. And I still remember that the day I was like, oh, I really like this. I was sitting in the audience listening to all these amazing researchers talking about all the stuff they're developing and everything. And I was thinking, oh, oh my God, I want want to be like that one day. I want to do something like that. Approached my supervisor again and, and she actually encouraged me. She was like, if you want to do it you should apply. But remember, this is a huge commitment and and things like that. So give it a lot of thought. And after giving a lot of thought, I applied and I like, I was so excited the day I got in, like I was at work and I was obviously the patient and the email popped up and I was like, oh my God. And I was like trying to get through the patient. It was very exciting. Yeah. So yeah, research is definitely something that appealed to me from very early on before even graduating. Oh, that's amazing. And congratulations again. And so (laughs) your like topic of PhD, it's like an extension of what you did for your master's, isn't it? So would you like to tell us a bit about it? Yes. I'm an anterior eye person. I like the working on the front of the eyes. I feel like I can do a lot more there and I get it more. (laughs) So in the master's, we worked on contact lenses and, and things like that and inflammation. I wanted to do something similar for PhD, something associated with inflammation. The topic of ocular allergy was a very hot topic at the time. I actually just thought I'd get a little bit of experience before committing to it. I wanted to make sure that this is something I wanted to do. So I did some research assistant work with actually one of my supervisors now as well. And I remember being like, yep, ocular allergy, that's the way to go. So I started actually in a completely different project as an experiment on ocular allergies on patients. And it was supposed to be on 300 patients. I had the experiment all in my first year, which was 2019. And then was supposed to start in 2020. And then COVID hits. I actually had to change my whole project. It's currently now actually on health practitioners. So I've gone into the whole other side of it. And I'm surveying all the different types of practitioners involved in ocular allergies. So um, you know, GPs, pharmacists, optometrists, allergists, and ophthalmologists. And it's been really good to be able to um, work with the with the people who actually manage these patients and, and treat them. So it's been great. Yeah. But that's what I'm working on um, at the moment. That's amazing. I, I wasn't aware that you changed it to more of a health practitioner focus. And what do you reckon as far as the day-to-day and week-to-week is like being a PhD candidate versus working in clinic? Oh, well, lately it's been all over the place. In general, I did normally have a bit of a schedule. Um, I actually started my PhD not on a scholarship and a lot of people were like, oh, why would you do that? Yeah. <laughs> um, but I was very inspired and I thought, no, I want to do it. Um, so I started not on scholarship. So obviously the money aspect was a bit of a a thing that was like, oh, like at the back of my mind usually. I had saved a bit of money, of course, from working Um you know, for a while, but then, yeah, but then I started not on scholarship and then afterwards really hard and I got a publication, did a few like different things. Um, I reapplied for a scholarship and actually got it. So that's actually obviously been a lot of help financially and things like that. But my day-to-day life, obviously, to make sure I have like a balance between working and PhD 
and, you know, everything else is I generally just like to, well, it's a seven-day week. To be <laughs> like I try to hope it's not a seven-day week. <laughs> yeah. But I'm one of those people that's, um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I suppose I do work on Saturday, Sunday sometimes. But, yeah, I try to um, have a few days where I'm working during the week. Like I started, I used to just do one day in clinic. And then, you know, the other five days, like, you know, try to take one day off here and there. The other five days I would just generally just work on my PhD. Um, but, yeah, lately it's been a little bit all over the place because I started teaching, which is something I'm also very passionate about. Mm. So, yeah, so that's been more I work one week and then I study one week and it's just been crazy. But, yeah, I try to find that balance, yeah, yeah. Um, generally. Um between working and doing PhD and just so you're not constantly staring at your computer at the same stuff every day you need a break somewhere as well what about like just in general like you you're kind of involved in teaching and clinic work still has going into research and doing a PhD changed your perspective on optometry yeah absolutely um I think there's a like there's parts of it obviously that overlap but I think being in clinic I'm a very clinical person I don't have that business sort of mind but so I used to always focus on um you know managing the patients and things like that when I was in clinic and um and you know you always think you know everything you're like we've got like a uveitis today this is how you manage it you've got an allergy today this is how you manage it and then now from the research side, I'm sort of like, oh, there's there's so many gaps and there's so much more we can do. And I think that's the awesome thing about research is you're not just, you know, learning the knowledge and then applying it. You're sort of bringing the knowledge too. So you're creating um, new knowledge. What about, I guess, advice or tips to people who are wanting to do a PhD, like going into it or thinking about it? Like what do you reckon you'd tell your younger self or somebody keen to go down the same track you've gone? Oh, I'd say do it. It is a big commitment, which is something my supervisor, I have four supervisors now, but my initial master's supervisor told me she, yeah, she told me it's a big commitment. Like it's four years where you're really not making a lot of money. I think that's a lot of, that's one of the things that people, um, I think that deters them. And she's like, you know, it's four years of, you know, like hard work and a lot of criticism and a lot of, you know, um, but I would still say do it no matter the the hardships or whatever. Um, I think don't be scared about like, you know, the money aspect. I think you just have to take that first step, like really, and just like start it and see how you go. That's how I started. And I was like, oh God, not on scholarship. What's going to happen? And then I applied and got it and you never know what can happen. And, and at the end of the day, we always have, I think the, the lucky thing is we always have our clinical work to fall back on as well always to help us in terms of that financial aspect. I think the other aspect is obviously like the the hours put in and the criticism and, and the flexibility um, as well. Like I remember when I had to change my projects, I was like, oh, goodness, I've worked on this for one year. Oh, my God, what's going to happen now? And I just had to be flexible. I had to be like, well, this is what PhD is about. And even though that part is scary, it's thinking, oh, I've just wasted it. You really haven't. You've still developed something you've still started something and if you're really passionate about it you'll you'll push through it teaches you a lot of resilience yeah 100 do it there's obviously like tough stuff along the way but yeah yeah if you're passionate about it it's it's like we like the entire medical field relies on research like we wouldn't be where we are today we wouldn't know what we know today if it wasn't for research so yeah if you have something to bring yeah i think bring it 
Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. That's so good. And especially, yeah. like you say, going into it without a scholarship, you're probably like, oh, no, <laughs> what's going to happen? But is there quite a high number of people that do a PhD not having a scholarship? Like just from somebody who myself doesn't know, like what what's the process behind that? Or like I guess the numbers of people who do PhD with and without scholarships, do you know? I don't actually know the exact numbers. Um I like just thinking of around my circle of friends, I just think about I like some of them did start without a scholarship too and eventually got that, got one. Some of them never got a scholarship and they did the whole, you know, four or five years in if they changed part-time or whatever and without a scholarship but they still chose to do it because that was their passion. So, um, yeah, there is, there is a few who do it without. There is a few who get it during and there's some who start with it. Um, the lucky ones but <laughs> um, yeah so yeah there is a mix so it doesn't really restrict people but I remember that it was just one of those things that when someone else is giving me advice they're like don't, don't start without a scholarship I was like oh why would you tell me that especially <laughs> I've when you started passionate. already <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah you want to do something you're passionate about I, I like I'm I don't know if I'm like a dreamer or something but I'm kind of that that person that's like I don't want to live the rest of my life like not doing something I absolutely love. Like I want to do something I love and put my heart and soul into every single day. So yeah, which is a bit corny, but but I believe in it firmly. (laughs) It's amazing backing yourself into something like that. As you say, like being told don't do it without a scholarship and you're like, well, I love this. I'm just going to do it anyway. And it's pretty special because I feel like not a lot of people would have the, the kind of resilience or the grit to just do it. And it's, it's funny because I feel like from, like a general clinician point of view I feel like most PhD people we hear about have scholarships so it's really cool to hear that you were just so passionate about it and you loved it so much that you just did it without kind of worrying or stressing on that where do you see like the research you've done and yourself in like five years research has so many ways it can like build on in the future so like one of the ways is obviously building on the research you've started so some people they use previous research and just build on that to make it better um, so it's, in any way, it's going to be useful. Uh, another thing is even changing policies, um, changing ways of practice. So even um, a recent huge move is collaborative care practice, which has been really, you know, at times we don't really know where to go, who to refer to, where the, even sometimes patients start in the wrong place. And, and yeah, so one of the things is you can actually influence that to make it a smooth running system, um, make the healthcare system like have a less burden, less um, clogging, less costs and things like that. So I'm hoping like specifically with my research, so I'm currently surveying health practitioners on the understanding um, of ocular allergies and I'm also interviewing them as well to get perspectives and attitudes and all of that and um, also collaborative care as well I have in there. So I'm hoping through that, um, whatever those gaps are, to provide education on it dating policies and policies, sorry, and um, ways of practice. So that's what I'm hoping to do with my research. And in five years from now, I still hope to be doing research. Yeah, still developing um, hopefully new treatments, testing new treatments, things like that. Um, still working on surveys. I love working um, with people. So yeah, I love the surveys, interviews part of it, but I also love like clinical trials and testing new managements and diagnostic things. So yeah, I still hope to be doing research in five years, hopefully on the anterior eye, red eyes, inflammation, things like that. What have been like some highs and lows like in research and just? <laughs> um, 
So one of the big things with PhD is imposter syndrome. That's something that a lot of people experience thinking, oh, I'm a fake. I shouldn't be doing this. Why am I doing this? This is not good enough. And um, yeah, imposter syndrome actually plays a lot of huge role. And I remember experiencing that in the first few years. So um, I was thinking, you know, like, is what I'm doing good enough, like compared to this person, compared to that person and, and through what's already been developed and, um, I think that's one of the things you just have to overcome. You have to think all research is important. There is no research that carries smaller weight than another. And research is really a drop in the ocean. That's what it is. So you might think, <laughs> oh, nice. I'm making big, <laughs> nice. I'm making like big changes. I'm going to get a Nobel Prize, but you're probably not. <laughs> you're just helping the, you're helping science like move forward. And, and that's how you think, have to think about it. Like, you know, we're all, we're all helping in a way. So that's one of us, I suppose, the lows that comes with PhD. One of the other things is you realize you don't know anything. I don't know why I'm starting with the lows, but. <laughs> it's good to end on a high note. <laughs> that's interesting. Uh, um, yeah. So, um, yeah, you just feel like you don't know. I remember starting it up. I thought I knew everything. I was like, yes, I've just graduated from optometry. I know everything. And then you start and you're like, I really don't know anything. And that's a huge thing. It's quite humbling, obviously, <laughs> as an experience, but it's a huge learning curve. So um, you find yourself, you're like, I want to know more. I want to know more about this. I want to know more about that. And and that's a really huge, the, the, uh, probably the third and final low is the criticism you get along the way. So thinking, oh, make this better, change this. And that's something my supervisor said they even went through when they were doing their PhDs. So, um, yeah, it's just sort of like you send them work and you're like, I'm so proud of this. This is so great. <laughs> and then they send back and there's notes everywhere. And, oh, God, this wasn't that good. <laughs> but it's a huge learning. Um, it's a huge learning thing. You're always, I think that's one of the things with PhDs, you're always learning. And I Suppose the highs, there's a lot of highs, a lot of highs I um, in PhD. I know I started with the lows, but I wanted to end on a high note with the highs. <laughs> good, so good. <laughs> um, the highs are so many. Like I think when you get your results, it's a huge, it's a huge thing. Um, I had like, all, I have all the results for one of my experiments and I was so excited when I got it. I was like, this is looking great. This is, um, you know, like oh, it's just going how I want it. Um, of course, sometimes it doesn't go that way and you're like, but yeah it's 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 still always like it's always going to be helpful no matter if it's not at the impact you wanted it or the number of people you wanted it it's always going to be helpful it's always going to be a building block for someone else to to work on so that's a huge high one of the other highs obviously when you get a publication here and there you feel a bit proud of yourself (laughs) Um, when you present at a conference it's very exciting um but yeah one of the biggest biggest highs I think is um is honestly the learning experience I think that's the biggest part for me and that's my favorite part because I'm I have a personality that loves learning. I just want to learn something every day. I'll read about random things every day, about history, about art, about you know whatever it is. I love learning. So for me, it's the learning experience. Like one of the things that excites me the most is like, you know, reading a new paper and seeing, oh, wow, this is so great. They've done this. And sometimes the paper might not be that great. You're like, oh, gee, they've missed a lot of, you know, the experimental stuff or, you know, they've really missed this. But you're like, this is great. I'm so glad they're starting this. This is so exciting. And then just that learning experience is a huge high for me. How many um, like publications have you? So I've had um, two so far in journals and then I've had another one in a magazine. How do you go about like recruiting people? Like you said, you're working with 
GPs, pharmacists, ophthalms, optometrists, like how do you go about recruiting people to be involved with your research? Has it been difficult? Yeah, recruiting is definitely a tough one because we're all so busy. Like you think about it, you're like an allergist is so busy, an ophthalmologist is so busy, pharmacists are blowing up right now because of everything going on. And and yeah, an optometrist, it's like you just think everyone's just got full books and stuff. So how is how can you go to this person and say, hi, can you please complete my survey for free? (laughs) Um, Yeah, but um, yeah, so that's been a really tough thing. And I think with recruitment, you just got to persist because you got to, and you got to demonstrate how important this is. You got to be like, this is really important. These are, this is what we're looking for. These are the gaps and and stuff like that. I think one of the things that I used to encourage my participants, because there was one survey I had to administer twice um, and it was looking for consistency. And there was another one we needed to do to get consensus. And it's like, oh, how do I keep this person interested? So I actually sent them the results after the first one. And I was like, this is what we found. And every single one of them completed again. So you got to yeah. find different tactics. Yeah, it's amazing. you got to find different tactics to keep people interested and stuff like that, of course. Like there's obviously a huge part of it where it's like, please help me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then there's a, there's a whole other part of it that's like, you know, you really got to demonstrate how like important the research is and you just got to persist. You just got to yeah. persist. You know, they're going to get a lot of people who say no, but you're going to get a lot of people who say this is really important or even people who have been through it before. They're like, oh, I did research and I remember how terrible it was. I'm going to help this girl. This yeah. And where are you at with your PhD now? Like are you finished that kind of data collection phase and you're mostly in write-up or are you still... Yeah, so I'm on my last experiment. So for my last six months, I had six months left, but I chose to do it part-time because I was working a little bit more uh, with teaching. Um, So I decided to do part-time. So that's obviously extended to a year. So I do have one more experiment. It's a small one to go, my last one. Um, And then the write-up. So the write-up is sort of something you do along the way. Of course, a lot of us PhD students pretend that we're doing it along the way, but really it's all cramming in the end and panicking. So um, so I've worked on it a little bit, just in case my supervisors are listening. It's being (laughs) worked on very hard. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, yeah, it's something you work on along the way and, and it gets done in the end. Everything ends up getting done. Um, but yeah, I have a little bit to go, just that last experiment and then I'm um, finishing up all the writer and fingers crossed it all goes smoothly. And then of course, at the end of PhD, you have people that actually read your thesis, assess it, um, criticize it, say what you could fix. Are you teaching just in the area that you're researching or teaching like pretty much anything that they need you to be involved with at the uni? Yeah. Oh, so teaching has always been a huge passion of mine. So definitely something I want to venture into alongside research. It's a yeah, huge passion. I started teaching last year, I believe, and it was clinical teaching. And that was actually contact lenses, which is somewhere I've obviously had research experience on before. And that was, yeah, that was a lot of fun. This year I've been able to do a lot more. Um, so I've been able to actually provide lectures and that's been specifically on my research. So that's, um, you know, all on ocular allergies. So I've done a lot like on pharmacology, immunology, things like that. I've even spoken specifically about my research experiments to inspire students in the future to hopefully do research. Yeah. yeah. And then I've done other types of research. So a lot of marking um, Indigenous health, which is mm. something that's um, really important because I remember researching a little bit, um, you know, doing like a PubMed search and just a general literature search and other sort of, yeah, searches there. And there wasn't much on Indigenous healthy and eye allergies. So I remember just being really like, oh, wow, there really needs to be more out there. So it's something that's really inspired me. So I've ventured into marking on that as well. So on Indigenous um, health and how we can better it, cultural 
you know, humility, sensitivity, awareness, all that sort of stuff. So that's something I've been marking on as well. And, and I really hope a few years in the future I could actually work with um, the Indigenous community if, um, yeah, if I can as well, yeah. which would be very, very amazing to me. Yeah, yeah. that's amazing because you've done quite a lot of volunteering and stuff in the past too, haven't you? Yeah, I have. So I actually, as soon as I graduated, I was like, let's go do some volunteering. <laughs> like, you know, I was I was very excited. So I went to Kenya, which was amazing. Yeah, that was amazing. I've done a bit of volunteering there. And, and recently I've done a bit of volunteering with um, UNAA, so the United Nations Association of Australia in the New South Wales Division. And I got to work in public health and things like that as well. So that's obviously like definitely inspired me to go to like less advantaged communities and be able to give more and to help there and, and so that we don't have that huge gap as well. Um, like we do live in a first world country. I think everyone has the right to have the same health care and to have the same, you know, outcomes and things like that. And like health is a human right. So, um, yeah, so we really need to. I guess you've probably touched on this already quite a lot, but is there one or two kind of moments that stand out as like the most rewarding moment in your career so far? Oh, goodness, that's a hard question. Um, oh, there's a few. I Like I still put a huge standout on that initial conference that I went to for my master's, to be honest. I always put a huge emphasis on that because even though I was nervous and trembling <laughs> presenting for like, you know, three minutes, I don't want to always rely on accomplishments to give myself joy during PhD because it's not <laughs> always going to be, <laughs> you know, it's always going to be like, you know, fine and dandy and, oh, I'm getting a publication every day yeah. or like, you know, I'm presenting at a conference every day. So there's going to be days where the it's realities. just, uh, yeah, mm. I'm staring at a paper, I'm typing, I have mind block or, you know, but so I don't want to rely on that to give me joy. Like I, I genuinely definitely get a highlights every single day throughout PhD, which uh, sounds fake, but I promise it's real. <laughs> like, I'm joyful every day. There's no tears involved. <laughs> no, but yeah, obviously the, those highlights are always those little accomplishments that you get. Like the second you get that acceptance for a paper or, or um, you know, presenting for an organization, like and, and things like that. That's always really exciting. And although it's nerve wracking, it's it's always very exciting. You get to speak to people who are just just as interested as you, and you're like, "Oh, this is so good!" and yeah. and people who want to make a difference. So those are, those are huge highlights. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. Oh, well, we're very excited to see how you go in your final year. But congratulations on everything you've done so far. It's it's pretty amazing, and to think that it all started when you're still a student and you presented at a conference when you're still a student as well is pretty pretty amazing. But thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today as well. I reckon a lot of people will be pretty um, pretty interested and pretty intrigued by your journey and what you're working on. So we'll try and get you some more participants for your research if you need as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> thank no, you. Thank you so much. Thank Thank you so much. the show for today folks thank you for joining us for this episode of in our eyes we hope you enjoyed it we wanted to extend a very big thank you to arini for taking the time to speak with us you can find arini on her linkedin be sure to keep an eye out on our alumni pages for her questionnaires if you wish to be involved in her phd research also a reminder that you can log this episode manually as cpd in your learning plan for a refresher on how to do this you can head over to our instagram stories at Deacon Optometry Alumni Chapter. 
Feel free to share this amongst your pals. Let us know your thoughts and reach out if you have any topics or questions for us or even any guests you'd like us to have on. Thanks again and we'll see you next time. This podcast is not an official Deakin University media production and is created by alumni. The views, comments and opinions expressed within this podcast are those held by individuals and are not associated or representative of Deakin University.